Welcome to The Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Saturday, February 19th, day one of the 2022 Division I Men's National Indoor Championships is officially in the books. What a day of tennis we had on our hands here in Seattle, Washington, and hopefully all of you listeners tuned into some of the action throughout the day on Friday. Now, if you missed out, whether it be for work, whether it be for prior commitments, Maybe you just prefer going out and socializing on a Friday night. I can't blame you for that. However, you will be remiss if you do not tune into the action at some point this weekend. We have 16 of the top college tennis teams in the country competing for the right to be named a national champion. Of course, as such, the quality of tennis, the energy level in the building could not have been better on day one. And on today's podcast, what I want to do for all of you listeners is offer my takeaways from the grounds. Obviously, we have the immense privilege here at Crack Rackets to be on the broadcast for all the action. First ball, the last coverage available on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. Again, if you haven't tuned in, we've got action starting at 9 a.m. Pacific time, carrying through all the way 9 p.m. Pacific time, 12 hours of tennis. So at some point, I'm telling you, it will be worthwhile for you to check in. It's myself, the coach, Mark Bay, joining me on the broadcast, Super Producer Daniel Westoff on the ones and twos. We promise it's a product we know all All of you tennis fans will enjoy. But, of course, you didn't come here to hear the plugs. You want to hear the takeaways from day one on the grounds. And I won't lie. I'm recording this. It's 8.15 a.m. here on Saturday, getting ready for day two to begin as such. Not going to be able to go into the extraordinary depth we usually do here on these podcasts. And I apologize for that fact. I had an opportunity to see a buddy of mine from college last night, and I took that opportunity. I know disrespectful to you listeners. Won't happen again. That's a mulligan. That's an error on me. Promise to get you the lengthy recaps you all are accustomed to after day two, day three, and then of course we'll recap the championship match on next week's episode of The Deciding Point. But again, what I want to do is offer my biggest takeaway from each of the day's eight round of 16 matches. Talk about the one thing I noticed about each of our team's winners and losers that I think will prove pertinent throughout the rest of the weekend. And of course, while it, you, if you lose first round, you are no longer able to win the championship. Every team guaranteed at least three matches. And if you are a college tennis fan, you know those consolation matches so frequently prove so, so important when it comes down to selecting the seeds for the NCAA tournament as such every match really does matter this weekend intense action across the board with all of that said let's get into it here are my thoughts from day one of of the event of course a shout out as always to our friends at tennis point for powering these podcasts making these daily recaps possible as always for all of the latest and greatest tennis equipment just go to tennis-point.com use our promo code cr15 not only will you let them know we sent you there you'll get 15 percent off all sale items free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding 75 dollars best of all a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, I'm going to go chronologically through all of these matches. And the match I watched first here on the day was an extraordinary one. TCU drops the doubles point, earns four singles victories to knock off the University of Virginia. Ultimately, a 4-2 win for the Horned Frogs. My biggest takeaway from this TCU team They play like a team who's been through the ringer once or twice before. Just
just veterans up and down the roster. And when you look at guys like Luke Famba at one, he's seen every national indoor, every NCAA scenario you could imagine. As such, he is comfortable, particularly the big serving Frenchman indoors. He's just going to be able to hang with anyone at that number one spot. But it's the depth of these TCU Horn Frogs and the experience provided in that depth. You look at a guy like Jake Fernley. It feels like highway robbery to have a guy with a forehand that big at the number five single spots. Again, Mike Cation, who joined me on the broadcast for the women's event, talked me out of the term lock. It's so difficult at this event to describe any spot as a lock because everyone really is that good. And in a no-ad format, anyone can beat anyone on any given day. But Man, Jake Fernley at that number five single spot. If I'm going to offer one takeaway from the TCU Horn Frogs, he feels like a lock of locks down there. But, of course, Aguilar, three-set victory for him over Chris Rodash. Yesterday was a day of the little guys, by the way, as Iñaki Montez was leading Luke Famba at the time that match concluded. But, again, the depth, the experience of this TCU team, it's everywhere. And then their freshmen look darn good. I'm talking at number six, Louis Max, that's just not going to beat himself. He's going to ask every question of his opponent, and he's going to do it extraordinarily well. Just, again, so solid off both wings, slices that backhand to just provide depth and neutralize what his opponent is trying to do. And then on the forehand, he can spring on that at will. So, again, all the credit in the world uh, to the freshman Louis Max that Pedro Vives is the real deal at four. It was such a fun match between he and Barb Botzer and for Vives to come back from a set down against a veteran like Botzer, a testament to where he is already as a freshman. But, you know, again, if I'm TCU, it's the, the fact that they drop the doubles point the way that they did it and just come out so strong in singles and, you know, push so many of the matches where they dropped first sets, two, three sets. I'm pretty sure they didn't. Uh, the only match they dropped in straight sets was Von der Schulenberg at the four spot and you know, or at the three spot. And again, to have Jeffrey Von der Schulenberg at three if you're Virginia, talk about a luxury of luxuries. But again, all the credit in the world to the Horn Frogs. They just look experienced. They look hungry. The energy they have, they play together, which as we learn in college tennis with the momentum swing, so important. We're so impressed by the Horn Frogs on day one. Now, my Virginia takeaway, don't sleep on the Cavaliers. Yeah, they've taken some losses here early in the season, twice to TCU. They lose to Baylor. They lose to Ohio State. But let's remember, this is still a very young nucleus that Coach Pedroso has on his hands in Charlottesville. Montez is a sophomore. He continues to look better. Rodash is a sophomore. He was right there with Juan Carlos Aguilar. And again, a deuce point here, a deuce point there. Could have very well flipped that result. I think there were seven breaks of serve in the third set. So again, how do you know someone's a sophomore? They get broken four times in a deciding set. But you know, across the board, I do think this is a team that hasn't peaked yet. And that's the scary thing because doubles-wise, I mean, in Von der Schulenberg and Montez, they have the most energetic team on the board. And just Jeffrey, so solid. And Yaki, just this ball of energy. And they're playing at the number two spot. You feel like Rodesh and Botzer, you know, the combination of the Rodesh power, how, you know, fluid Botzer is at the net, how comfortable he is moving, how unintimidated he is by any scene he faces, because of course Bar Botzer, national champion, clinching, um, won the national championship clinching match, excuse me, on his Wake Forest team back his freshman year 2018, but Again, don't sleep on the Who's. Yes, they've lost some matches to some top teams early in the year. I actually think that's very good for this group. Keeps them hungry, keeps them motivated. Not that they have that issue, but certainly shouldn't be an issue for Coach Pedroso moving forward. It wouldn't shock me at all. Virginia bounces back with two wins here this weekend. It's the best 12 seed I've ever seen. And again, that was a really fun opening match. But of course, on our other side, South Carolina. 
upset of the day, so we thought, when they knocked off Stanford 4-3. And you got to give all the credit in the world to the Gamecocks, who came into the match undefeated at the number one spot with Daniel Rodriguez. And, you know, one loss at the number two spot for them uh, from uh, Toby Samuel, excuse me, Connor Thompson, right? Uh, one loss for him at that number three spot. You thought if they were going to beat Stanford, they were going to have to sweep that top three and just pray to find one more. That was not the case. They had success across the board, and it started in doubles where, simply put, they smacked Stanford in the face. And, you know, again, Beasley, Samuel, Lambling, Story, bottom of the lineup, earning the victories for South Carolina against Stanford. That is not what our Crack Rackets experts predicted. We thought the depth of Stanford would win out. But, you know, credit to the South Carolina team. And talking to Coach Josh Goffey, I know he thinks he's got a squad on his hands. They bring back so many of the faces from last season in Rodriguez, Samuel, Thompson, Lambling. And then, of course, you bring in a guy like James Story, who had really struggled to this point, 3-3, three and three, I believe, overall in dual matches, and gets a massive 5-7-6-4-6-4 win over Sangeet Streetheart at the five spot to clinch. Again, that South Carolina won this match with last year's NCAA singles finalist and their number one singles player undefeated Daniel Rodriguez losing. What a confidence-boosting win for this Coach Goffey-led squad. And again, they were round of 16 last year, played Texas so close. Probably, you know, you play that match 10 times, I think they win it three or four. And this is a group that's gaining confidence. Obviously, they've got a massive opportunity on their hands here today when they take on Tennessee. You get a good look at another SEC opponent. What a performance for, again, if James Story's going to start playing this well, was number one at Memphis last year, highly touted recruit. Now you get him at the number five spot, finally starting to click. That's a scary thing for the rest of the SEC because this South Carolina team clearly has the talent at the top, starting to find some solutions at the bottom as well. Now on the flip side, if you're Stanford, I mean, A, doubles point. This was really your first shot at a a high-quality team. No disrespect to UCF, who they beat in the kickoff weekend, and you know, no disrespect to USC, who they did play. So I shouldn't say this is their first high-quality team. I rescind that statement. But you know, this is their first look at the national scene, at a top 16 scene in a while. Because of course, last year the team lost to Virginia in the round of 32, and you know, their season hadn't started during the national indoors. They weren't able to play kickoff weekend, and so even though we have some familiar faces on their team, right? in Gelling, in Shreedhar, in Timothy Saw. These are all players who are, Alex Roths, are relatively new to the national scene. And so I think the fact that Arthur Ferry beats Daniel Rodriguez, it proves you have a top five, top three player in the country at that number one spot. You feel really good there if your Stanford and sophomore Arthur Ferry continues to stake his claim as the best player in college tennis. Uh, Of course, you look beyond that, you know, Rothsart loses in three sets. I actually think that was a pretty good result for him against Toby Samuel. The one you needed back was Axel Geller, who races back in the, in the second set and was down 5-2 before ripping off three straight games. And, or excuse me, 5-1 before ripping off four straight games, getting back to 5-all in that third set before ultimately Connor Thompson over able to get over the hump. Now, I think the silver lining, if you're Stanford, you still played pretty well, and your freshman, Max Bassing, looks awfully good at four. And you're missing Tristan Boyer, who last year was one of those super freshmen and can certainly has the talent to be a top 50 sort of player in the country. And you feel like you insert him into your lineup. It just gives you more options. 
that's the silver lining for Stanford. At the same time, you really hope the bottom doesn't fall out from under them here this weekend because you could see a world after a disappointing loss to South Carolina. Things aren't going to get any easier for this team. And for a guy like Geller, senior here competing for national championships, you saw how amped up he was, how much energy he gave in that comeback. How much do they have left in the tank? That's certainly the question we ask ourselves. And, you know, again, for them, it's not going to get any easier uh, as they're going to take on, I believe, Texas A&M here today. So that's going to be a really fun matchup in the constellation. But, man, what a win for South Carolina. What a confidence-boosting moment for Coach Josh Goffey. Now, those were your 9 a.m. matches. Let's move to the noons now. Uh, certainly, you look at Tennessee, couldn't have gone more closely to the script that they would have written. And you look for them all season long. It's been the returners, Walton Monday, 1-2. and two. Obviously, they were exceptional last year to have Joe Monday, who, in my opinion, was the best freshman in the country last year. But, of course, you can make a claim for a bunch of others. You know, no one dislikes the term six foot five lefty, right? That's just tennis, dare I say, tennis porn. Um, but you look for them, again, Walton, Monday, you feel really good about it, one and two. And, look, they were dominant. Adam Walton, 2-0 and over Noah Schachter. Joe Monday, 2-2 two and two over Pierce Rollins. They're playing like the best top two duo in the country. And, of course, you never want to rely on your top two come NCAA tournament. I mean, you want to feel good about them, but everyone in the final 16 is going to have a strong top two. That said, right now here, you know, what's today? February 18th, I believe I said at the top of this podcast. As of February 19th, excuse me, as of right now, Walton and Monday are your top, top two in the country. And they were just dominant. And they, that was the difference, you know, in that match. Two quick points on the board. And then, of course, freshman Shinsuke Mitsui. It's just the match calculus for Tennessee right now is so clear. Walton, Monday, Mitsui, find one more. And on paper, that one more should always be doubles. And that's why yesterday when they struggled and they were down early breaks on two of three courts, uh, it was notable. And, of course, they're playing this weekend without Martin Prada, who, you know, they were, what, 17-6 and six last year, he and Joe Monday, at the number two double spot. Now he and Monday are going to be expected to play three doubles. Uh, you know, the fact that they, you know, Monday and Walner, Mark Walner, who replaced um, Prada in that doubles lineup, earned a 6-4 victory. That's a good note if you're Coach Woodruff and your Coach Mackay. And, you know, certainly that the NCAA champs, you move them down to the number two spot because Emil Hudge and Suki Matsui have just had so much success this season. You feel really good about that doubles point. And again, they didn't play their best yesterday in doubles, and they still earned the point against Texas A&M. You feel like that was a match where they didn't peak. They just played according to the script, and their script won out. And that's certainly a reassuring thing if you're Tennessee. Now, if you're Texas A&M, on the flip side, your freshman Perego at 6, up 6-3-3-1. You love that from the freshman. Mathis Ross, up 6-3-2 all against Angel Diaz. That point against you know Tennessee when they're without Prada, within, when they're without Bicknell, that number four single spot, you have to win. And they were in a position to do that. Certainly Guido Marson losing 1-0 to the freshman Shinsuke Mitsui you don't love, but I think that's a testament to Mitsui more than anything else. But, I mean, look, if you're Texas A&M, you take that doubles point, the dynamic of the match is completely different. And I think that's the takeaway here if you're A&M is you knew coming into this, right, you probably aren't at that elite of elite level. But you played pretty close across the board. Your freshmen, your newcomers to the to the singles lineup looked good in doing so. This was a business trip for Tennessee, and certainly they played the role of number three seed well. 4-0 victory. It was the only true 4-0 victory of the day, but... Again, watch for the Aggies to bounce back here this afternoon as they take on Stanford. That's going to be an interesting match. And then, I mean, 4-3. 
Texas over Florida was exactly what you would have expected. And, you know, I get some, I was going to swear, but Super Producer Daniel Westhoff, I get some crap. We'll say, I'll just say it. Sorry, Westhoff. I get some shit all the time when I say Texas-Florida is the best rivalry right now in men's college tennis. I think the facts speak for themselves. 2019 NCAA semifinal. Winner of that match was winning the NCAA title because Wake Forest was dead. And Texas wins that match. They win the NCAA title. Next year, first match of the season, Texas goes to Florida. They punk the Florida Gators at in Gainesville and just, you know, again, it, for them to beat them 5-2, I believe they dropped the doubles point earned, uh, excuse me, five wins in singles. It was it was remarkable. And then, of course, you know, start of last season, Texas beats Florida again to prevent them from going to the national indoors. And then, you know, they match up in the NCAA semifinal. That time, Florida gets Texas, and they end up going to the national championship and, and go end up winning that match. I mean, of course, they played earlier this year in Austin. That was a 4-3 win for the Gators over Texas. You knew 4-3 was in the cards because, simply put, and this is the thing I think I appreciate most about this Texas team, they, in particular, do not fear Florida. They do not fear anyone. That team plays as much like a unit, as a group, as any team I saw, perhaps more so than any team I saw yesterday. And it starts with the beating heart of the lineup, Cleve Harper, who, with Richard Ciamara at the number one double spot, they're just good. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. They are number one doubles good. 6-4 win over Riffis and Shelton. They were in control seemingly from the start in that match. Then you look at the freshman for them. Pierre Bailey as advertised. Not only do he and Sam Waldy burn a 6-2 win at two, it's Bailey with the clinch. And when they played earlier this season, Ben Shelton clinched over Bailey, lost the first set 6-7, ends up running away with the next two sets. This time, it was Bailey flipping the script. He drops the first set 7-6, ends up earning a 6-7, 6-4, 6-2 victory. Now, I talk about the beating heart of the lineup, Cleve Harper, who ends up losing 7-6 in the third to Josh Goodger, but fights off Goodger when Goodger's serving for the match in the third set, up 5-4. And, you know, again, just so much energy, so much noise, so much fight. It clearly helped the freshman Bailey at that number two spot. Even Seam Waldeeb in a 1-6 loss. You know, Seamar served for that match up 6-1, I believe, 5-4. And, you know, Waldeeb's able to get the break. He's going nuts. And just staying out there surviving helps Micah Braswell earn such an impressive 7-5, 7-5 win over Riffis, where he took it to the NCAA singles champ. His forehand was the biggest weapon on the court. Again, if I had told you before the match Texas was going to win, you probably would have said, well, you know, maybe Harper gets a win at six, or maybe Spaziri's healthier than you think. And Spaziri, who can only hit slice backhand, still takes a set over Andy Andrade yesterday. I mean, just the fight this Texas team shows, the, the tenacity, they're loud, they're energetic, which is what you need in this environment, and they're super, super talented. And again, if I would have told you before the match, Texas was going to sweep the top three, which is by any measurement Florida strength, even with all the depth that they have, to have the NCAA champ at one, Ben Shelton, who won the All-American, won a Futures title, did all these things at two, Duarte Valle, who was top five in the country, playing number three singles, and you lose all three of those matches? What a win for Texas. What a win for Texas. Now, on the flip side, if you're Florida, first hour and a half, Texas punked you. They came out, they punched you in the face. Their energy, their intensity, it was just, you couldn't match it. 
no doubt about that. That said, the fight Florida showed to just stay alive in that match. Riffis was clearly not playing well at one, and he just kept scratching and clawing his way to try and stay alive there. And again, you could tell Shelton just didn't have it. The backhand was failing him uh, at that number two spot, yet he kept fighting, kept finding solutions, kept trying to find different ways to attack was super, super impressive, of course. You know, again, I don't think Volley played his best indoors and then bottom of the lineup. They are that good. Seymour has fit in in the Bicknell spot like a hand in a glove, and Andrade at four was always going to be a nightmare. And Goodger was undefeated at six last season. Beats it in, you know, uh, Cleve Harper, who was, what, 20 and six last year at four singles. They've got answers everywhere. And again, we're indoors, which matters because Florida, we'll just say it, not an indoors team. And they still played Texas really close. That said... They just they didn't have it yesterday. They just they weren't playing their best. They couldn't match Texas's energy. Simply put, because they weren't playing well enough to get amped, to get fired up, to get celebrated. And that's a credit to Texas. Again, Florida didn't lose the match. Texas won it, and that's a credit to the Longhorns. I have no concerns for Florida. I want to see them bounce back, though. And you know, again, Florida, Virginia today. Are you kidding me? That's a consolation match. Tune into the stream, folks. Watch college tennis. It's ridiculous if you're not otherwise. But Florida versus Virginia should be really fun. That said, credit to the Longhorns, man. They played. They just took it to the Gators. They weren't afraid of them. And now, again, your semi, uh, your quarterfinal matchup here today, TCU-Texas rivalry matchup. No secrets between these teams. That is the interesting thing because Texas obviously has beaten this TCU team before. And so, you know, again, the same way they've beaten that Florida team before, they're going to bring that energy. They're not going to be afraid of the higher-seeded, you know, number five frogs. But that said, I think TCU's more prepared. Well, I actually don't think they're more prepared. Does TCU know Texas better than Florida knows Texas? I would argue no. That said, I just think this TCU team... They're really determined right now. Certainly Florida. I don't want to say they're resting on their laurels because they're not. But Florida knows, you know, again, I think Florida places less significance on this event knowing it's indoors and knowing they just won it. Eh, That's not fair, perhaps, to Florida. Let me just say this. TCU is hungry for a national championship. And they feel like they have a window here. This match is going to be intense. I think the doubles point is going to be critical. If you're asking me again, you know, who takes the doubles point? Certainly, Texas played with more energy yesterday, but I, I, again, I think TCU is really good at doubles. I would suggest, you know, again, I would lean Texas based on the eye test. I just think they're a little bit better at one, although TCU certainly looked great at two yesterday. Oh, excuse me, great at three yesterday. Aguilar and Fernley, you probably lean towards them as a duo. It's a toss-up. It's going to be a really fun doubles point. I'm expecting 4-3 either way. Again, no predictions here because it's hard for me to look at the coach and say, hey, I picked against you, and then the coach gets mad at me. So, you know, we don't do that anymore. But I would say whoever wins doubles wins the match because I just I don't see the script for either team to get six singles wins, right? You probably favor Harper at six always against just about anyone. But, I mean, again... Uh, Louis Max that looked really good yesterday and you're going to favor Pedro Vives at four the freshman earning the win over Botzer uh, certainly against the compromised Spaziri but like it's Elliot freaking Spaziri the energy he brings you're even without the backhand with how well he moves and how you know intense he plays you're really going to just sure thing take a freshman over him no you're not going to do that and so toss-ups everywhere it's going to be a really fun match Again, you, maybe you favor Braswell at one, but if Famba serves well, serving Famba Bambas, we're just, you know, again, we are indoors. So 
It's a pick'em. It's a pick'em, and this is the first of at least two times these are, teams are going to see each other. Perhaps even three, four down the road. Big Twelve seasons going to be extraordinarily fun. Buckle your seatbelts, folks. This will be a good one. By the way, I didn't say this at the top, but you look at uh, our other quarterfinals: South Carolina, uh, obviously advancing over Stanford, taking on Tennessee. You favor South Carolina. Uh, you favor Tennessee, even though you know again they're good at the top two. Certainly, even after winning that doubles point on paper, Tennessee should never lose a doubles point just given the teams they have everywhere, even without Martin Prada. Now, you know, again, bottom of the lineup, you feel like both teams are vulnerable. And certainly James Story at that number five spot against Mitsui, that's a match you just circle. You're going to watch. And if the freshman Mitsui is as good as he has presented thus far, he should win that match on recent form. But that's a fun one. Again, Angel Diaz didn't play great at four yesterday. Maybe you favor Rafael Lambling there. Daniel Rodriguez is never an underdog, but that matchup against Adam Walton, certainly a pick Again, I, I lean Tennessee just because I see more points on the board for them, but by no means am I picking them formally. And, you know, certainly South Carolina, absolutely uh, competitive and can absolutely win that match. But those were your morning matches. Again, my takeaways, Florida, they're just not peaking yet. They're just not where they'll be come May, Texas. Oh, man, the energy they play with, even when they're banged up, even when they're, you know, again, backs against the wall. That's actually, I would argue, when they're at their most dangerous. But those were your noon matches. Let's move now uh, to the 330s. It was the most unconventional 4-0 you'll ever see, Kentucky over USC. And I'll say this, Kentucky came out and smacked them in doubles. That was super impressive. And this is where the experience of Kentucky showed. Lapidot and Mercer, who were excellent all fall, Mercer so active at the net, the lefty lopped out the big serve and, you know, the big lefty forehand. Just Mercer cleaned everything up, and they took it to the freshman Mock and, Warwick and, uh, Mock and Merrick excuse me, with a 6-1 victory. And then credit to Zemel and Musatelli. 6-3 win over Colby and Barreto. And certainly, again, those are that's a new pairing for USC. Two guys new to the Trojan program this year. Barreto previously at Cal. Colby, the freshman. Kentucky just played like the team with more continuity. And certainly when you look at this Kentucky group, this is what Coach Kaufman, Coach Gordon, the team, Coach Cobalt, the team has been working towards, peaking at these national events. And, you know, again, last year they fall in the round of 32 to Arizona at the NCAA tournament, and they bring back the gang, right? Draxel's back at one, and Hurrian's playing so well at that number two spot. Gabe Diallo, a 3-2 and two win over Bradley Fry at three. Again, it's on paper, but this top three is as experienced as any top three in the country. You feel like they can hang with anyone, but what was so impressive yesterday is at the bottom of the lineup where they have a lot of answers, right? Mercer, Zemo, Lapidot, Musatelli, and you know a bunch of different people they can turn to in a pinch. They go Lapidot yesterday at five. He earns a three and six win over Restrate. Comes back from you know a break five three, I believe, or five four down in that second set to take it seven six. Yasha Zemel six three in the third over the uber talented Ryan Colby. He just made that match extraordinarily physical, which is all you can ask from the veteran. And again, Draxel, Dostinik, that match was destined never to finish, right? Unless it was a 4-3 deciding match because those are the two of the 10 best players in the country. And, you know, again, Hurrian, that he was down 7-6, 5-all to Wojmerich, the freshman for USC, speaks to the performance at the bottom of the lineup for Kentucky. And if they start to figure out the bottom of the lineup, because that was always the question, we know come May what Draxel will be, what Hurrian will be, what Gabe Diallo will be. And Gabe Diallo indoors, I just would rather take. Give me the guy who's 6-7 indoors every day of the week. But 
Musatelli grinds, just no discernible weakness. He's never going to be an easy out at four. Played one at Old Dominion. And, you know, again, if Lapidot starts peaking, if Zemmel starts peaking, if they prove to be not only capable, but certainly, you know, again, these sort of performers at five and six, you feel really, really good about this team moving forward. So, again, credit to uh, Kentucky, their performance at the bottom of the lineup. Credit to USC, who is down 3-0 and made a big push. And you do feel like if Ludwig Westrate can get that second set overlock, it out. Maybe it's a different match, and because certainly Dostinik was up a break in the third, and again Merrick up seven six five all. You feel like if Westrate can get that set, maybe we're still playing that match right now. Uh, but certainly USC was close. Don't let that four zero line score line fool you. But credit to Kentucky, that match was a toss up going in, and they just they outperformed USC down the stretch. Now, if you're USC again, you're so young, right? Merrick's a new lineup contributor. Mock's a new lineup contributor. Colby's a new lineup contributor. You're playing the veteran team. And again, that was 4-0, but a de facto 4-2, 4-3 in reality sort of scoreline. They are nowhere close to where they'll be come May. And this group is already better, I'll be honest, than I thought they would be. But credit to Kentucky, man. I fought really hard to include them in our college contender series at our number 10 spot. I was a believer in the depth of this team. I thought they had options. Nice to see those options bear fruit uh, for the Wildcats yesterday. Of course, simultaneous to that match was another just 4-3 thriller between Wake Forest and Georgia. And man, I don't know if any single spot in the lineup for Wake Forest is sexy, but they are just good everywhere. There is not a weakness in that lineup, and every guy is going to scrap and claw and fight. And after dropping the doubles point to Georgia, who brought so much energy, whether it was McCormick and Stewart at the one spot, or in particular, Kreuter and Gravilius, man... You think I talked a lot yesterday. I think they got more words out in a 25-minute double set than I did in a 14-hour broadcast. Those guys are loud. They get after it. This Georgia team really, really fighting to prove, you know, again, that they love one another, that they're fighting for one another, competing for one another on court. But given the cool, calm, collective nature of Tony Bresky in a 3-all, 4-all, you know, 3-all, 2-all scenario, whatever it may be, every single day of the week and. You know, again, there was just a poise and a calmness to this Wake Forest team, whether it was Karamov, you know, taking that first set. It was an hour and a half, 7-6 over Henning and just continuing to execute. And, you know, Karamov's, what, was 2-5 and five on the year coming into the match, and or 2-6, and six, excuse me, and to get a win over Phil Henning, certainly that's a huge moment for Wake Forest, and you could tell how relieved Coach Bresky was and how happy he was for the newcomer Karamov to have that sort of experience. But, you know, again... He was great. Eduardo Anava at three feels like a steal. He got a 24-year-old at the three single spot. Huge serve, huge forehand, you know, weapons as big as anyone in the country and just took it to Tristan McCormick. You know, you look for them at number six, Jakob Schneider. Uh, <coughs> Schneider finally starting to find his rhythm as well and just hit through Eric Gravilius and was seemingly, you know, dictated everything from the start there. And it's a nice contrast to have at that number six spot. You know, again, credit to Georgia, who fought really well. Blake Hoyer looked excellent at number five. And Hamish Stewart is starting to play much better at that number one spot. And look, Trent Bride is clearly not confident right now, not playing his best tennis as the All-American. And yet for him to, you know, because at the number four spot, uh, Filippo Moroni, the talented sophomore for Wake Forest, served for the match at 5-4 in the second set. He served for it at 6-5 in the second set. And Bride forced the third set. And just you could tell how 
physical that match was. He spent so much energy on the comeback, and you know there are plenty of breaks of serves in that third set as well. But credit to Maroney, man, who you know loses the match against uh, Tennessee early in the season, seven six in the third, and then clinches against Michigan, and now clinches again here uh, against Georgia. I mean, Maroney's so fast, and he just turns defense into offense and just a really well-rounded game, even if he can get a little tentative in the big moments. But this is the sort of confidence-boosting thing you want the sophomore to go through. And, you know, again, 4-3 Wake Forest. What a result. And now it's going to be a really fun matchup for them as they take on the Buckeyes of Ohio State. And with that said, let's get into our night matches quickly on Baylor. They dropped the doubles point, and then they rolled. Straight set victories from Soto at 2, La at 3, Bass at 5, Mizuchi at 6, and you know Milodinovic was up 7-6-3-0 at 4 when the match stopped. Boytown took the first set 7-5 over Slavic, even if he was down a break 4-2. And certainly that is one of the sneaky takeaways, is that Boytown's still not playing his best tennis yet for the Bears. Give it time, folks. Just give it time. He's not playing his best. He's still not losing uh, for the Bears at 1, but... I mean, the depth, the experience. This team was national indoor finalists last year, and obviously they replaced the bottom three, but Finn Bass has been in the fight before. And Mizuchi at six, the lefty, just he hasn't lost for a reason. He's looked better at the sixth spot than anyone I've seen from an eye test. And, yeah, again, Baylor, they did not play well in doubles. They had their opportunities. You know, Soto Mizuchi take a 6-4, and Boitan and Paralek had a million break points to serve for the match, and, you know, Bass and Law, same deal, a bunch of break points to serve for the match, and they just weren't able to get that job done in the doubles point. I actually think if you're Coach Michael Woodson, you're happy because now you can tell your team, we didn't play well. We need to be better. We need to work harder. Let's not rest on our laurels. Not that they ever would, but certainly now there's a little bit more, uh, I suppose, substance to that argument, but... Baylor looked like a number two seed. You didn't play a good doubles point. What do you do? You respond by winning six first sets, four straight set victories off the court in two hours, two and a half hours. Just Baylor looked like a two seed. But man, 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 were the number one seed at Ohio State Buckeyes pushed to the brink yesterday. And credit to Washington, who had 200 strong here on hand to take in all of the action, maybe 200 plus in just the atmosphere, the energy. If you watch the broadcast, you know it was electric here at the Nordstrom Tennis Center last night. And I mean, look, Washington beat the number one and two teams in the country. Davis and Wong delivering votes on cash. Their first loss on the year, 6-3. Shidek and Suko, a 7-6 win over Boulay and Trotter to clinch it at two. If you're the Buckeyes, Kingsley and Tracy are the real deal at three. And they earn another victory yesterday, 6-1 over Washington. And Look, you have your three doubles teams. You didn't play well in doubles, but you have your three doubles teams if you're the Buckeyes. At the same time, man, I mean, just credit to Washington, who all looked babyface Nelson, and I'm not sure if every player in their lineup has hit puberty yet, let alone done with puberty, and just, they fought, they scrapped, they clawed everywhere, and yet Ohio State took their best shot, and I mean best shot, and ultimately still ended up winning. You know, again, Kingsley down 4-1 in the second set, earns a 4-4 victory at 2. And then, you know, Tracy and Trotter, 1-2 victories at 4-5. and five. You just feel like it's highway robbery. J.J. Tracy at 4. I'm not going to use the L word, but he's as close to a lock as you're going to get in men's college tennis at 4. Just his forehand, the speed he plays with, clearly has put on 5-10 to 10 pounds of muscles. He's just got it. He is that good. And you feel like if you're them, again, you bring in Votzel, who played one at Oklahoma State. Van Emberg played one at Oklahoma. You feel like you have four ones in your lineup between Votzel, Van Emberg, and obviously the returners, Kingsley and Tracy. And then I was just looking for that third point. And credit to Washington's uh, Buchleheim, I hope I pronounced that right, at the number six spot after dropping a bagel to Robbie Cash in the uh, first set is up 
you know, 4-2 in the third when the match finishes and just found the weakness, found Cash's backhand, attacked it over and over and over again. And look, I mean, Robbie lost his form, lost confidence in that backhand down the home stretch of the match, but credit to Washington for forcing him into that scenario. The MVP of the day is Jake Van Emberg, who is down 6-1-5-3, ends up ripping off 10 of the next 11 games, clinches the match 6-1 in the third. He has not played well, but found some confidence, found a way to scrap, found a way to forehands. I mean, what a result. I mean, again, the Buckeyes were tested to the brink, and you know who loves that more than anything? Ty Tucker, who can now justify the seven-hour practice he probably hosted after the match, or just, again... Ohio State punked everyone in Columbus, right? They beat Tennessee, Virginia, Wake Forest, Kentucky. Now they can say, I think they needed that, to be like, you know what? That was the wake-up call. That was the one we got to play better. We got to be, there's got to be an urgency. There's got to be, not to say that they didn't have it, because when their back was against the wall, it was so impressive to see them band together. And, you know, again, against 300 strong here, they, plenty of Buckeye roars, plenty of OHs, and just, again, the energy they play with. Credit to Washington, who made that match as close as it was, but ultimately, Buckeye's going to Buckeye, and in the end, Ohio State earning the 4-1 victory. And now, you know, again, semifinals today, Baylor uh, taking on Kentucky. I mean, it's going to be a fun one. Obviously, you love the depth for Baylor, and you favor them on paper at the four, five, six singles positions. And, you know, they played extraordinarily well yesterday, but so did Kentucky. And Kentucky played better than Baylor at the doubles point. Kentucky won it. Baylor did not. If Kentucky takes a doubles point, it's just really hard to find four singles victories against anyone. That said... I expect Baylor to come out with more fire today in doubles. And just, again, they're one of those teams, they have the depth to make Kentucky uncomfortable, and they can match Kentucky strength at the top three. But, man, if Kentucky plays as well as it did yesterday, do not expect that match to be anything but, uh, do not expect that match to be a 4-0 match. And then, look, how much does Wake have left in the tank? That's certainly the question. But the Buckeyes got off the court at 9.30. And just, again, the depth for Wake, they have answers everywhere. Now, certainly, you're always going to love Tracy at four. But guess what? You know who's feeling himself right now? Filippo Moroni for Wake Forest. And so even then, you still probably, you know, lean Ohio State. I mean, look, it's just going to be a really good matchup more than anything else. And all of these quarterfinal matchups, by the way, available on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel as we continue our coverage of the men's national indoors from first ball to last. If you missed anything, you can catch up on it all on that YouTube channel as well. I'm super, very much looking forward to day number two. Myself, the coach, Mark Bay, super producer Daniel Westoff, going to be calling all of the action. Again, that action starting 9 a.m. Pacific time, carrying all the way through our last match at 6.30 p.m. Pacific as well. Again, for that coverage, just head over to our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Of course, a shout-out, as always, to Super Producer Daniel Westoff for the work he does. A shout-out to our friends at Tennis Point as well for their continued coverage. And then a huge thank you to the ITA, of course, for allowing us this opportunity. But with all of that said, for Super Producer Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.